Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Some of you may be aware of the report we published in December uh, around this, and this was kind of the basis or the genesis of the conversation that we're having today. We're going to run through uh, during the, the hour or so some of the, the findings from this research process we undertook last year, but we'll be quite brief about that. The main thing we want to talk about is well, what do we do next uh, and how do we, um, as uh, I suppose a research outfit in a convener, a platform for change, as we call ourselves at Innovation Forum, how do we make a difference to help drive rural resilience uh, beyond just the, the conferences that we're doing? So that's a big focus for us in 2021. And we will be holding our Sustainable Landscapes and Commodities Conference again at the end of November after COP to try and analyze what COP26 means for uh, agribusiness, for the deforestation agenda, um, and to try and work out what practical things companies can do to help take carbon reduction forward alongside the work that many companies are doing around the SDGs uh, and around um, rural resilience. Because clearly carbon, if used correctly, or, or climate change concerns or action, could be a good, provide good impetus for further resource allocation towards helping some of the world's most vulnerable communities uh, and their output, um, which of course has been brought very much into the spotlight by COVID um, as we see more people heading back to rural villages and we see what's happening in India this week. Um, you know, we're, we're not out of the woods yet. And of course, those rural communities are, are some of the most affected, um, if not health-wise, then, then economically and, and often both. So we're looking forward to a productive year at Innovation Forum, where we hope to contribute to the debate through what we do. Uh, and uh, we're looking forward to a conversation today that we think um, could help take things forward. So there's, I think there's enough of us here for, for me to get started. We're not going to do really long introductions. Um, you probably saw from your invitation who's joining us. Um, we, have, uh, we have a number of uh, experts and supporters of our research process, um, and, uh, and they're going to offer some commentary on our uh, proposed next stages for the, for the research. So just to be brief in summary about what we've been doing, last year, um, in conversation with, with Alison from Cotton Connect and Gertz from, from Golden Agri, uh, Silke from, from GIZ and, and, and some others, including the Clinton uh, Development Initiative and, uh, and Colio ACP, uh, we convened uh, that group of organizations to help support some research, which was led by Dr. Peter Stanbury, who's with us today. And I, I, we started out with the idea of, it's very clear that we're not sharing enough knowledge across commodities when it comes, soft commodities, when it comes to smallholders. So we wanted to try and break down the barriers. Allison and Cotton Connect work a lot with cotton farmers in India and in China. What are the lessons that can be applied or learned um, from, from there to, to palm oil where Gertz is working um, in Indonesia with Golden Agri Resources and what can be learned and, and vice versa. That's how we started out. We ended up coming out uh, with a report that came up with a number of recommendations and a number of unexplored areas. Uh, and one of those is what we're going to be discussing today. So we're not going to talk in depth about the report. You can please read that and I will post a link uh, to, um, to a blog post article we wrote about it. It gives you a shorter version. But in a moment, I'll turn over to uh, Dr. Peter Stanbury to talk through very briefly those findings and, and to talk about this idea we have for how we can connect smallholder farmers more directly to global markets. So I'll ask Peter to sort of define the problem and then we'll talk about 
how we propose to try and tackle it. Um, but in the meantime, uh, just to let you know who else is here, um, Ruth Thomas from what was the Global Agribusiness Alliance, but now has a, an even longer uh, title. So Ruth can explain that in detail when she speaks. Silke Peters is here from, from GIZ, the German Development Agency. Welcome, Silke. Uh, Leah Rankinen from Powlid Group, uh, who do some great work in coffee and spices as a, as a brand. Um, Alison, we've mentioned your work at Cotton Connect. Um, and we thank you all for joining us and offering some, some commentary uh, throughout the next 55 minutes or so. Um, so that's introductions done. Uh, that's what we're trying to do. Uh, Peter, let me turn over to you to uh, just talk through briefly what did we find out uh, in the report last year and how has that led us to where we are today talking about how we can connect smallholder farmers more directly to global markets. Peter, over to you. Okay, Toby, thanks very much. And um, I'm going to try and keep my, my comments reasonably short because we've got an extremely good panel in it. I um, don't want you to have to spend too much time uh, listening to me. Um, as Toby said, we, we undertook a, a significant piece of research last year um, uh, and it reached the unavoidable conclusion that the, 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 the current approach to um, smallholder supply chains is the, the attempt to achieve sustainability is in itself unsustainable uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, but for the purposes of today's seminar, a key reason why this is the case is a clear market failure um, in linking goods produced to sustainable standards with those wanting to buy them. Um, no comprehensive mapping process exists to identify what sustainably produced commodities are produced um, and where, uh, nor of who might be buyers of those commodities. Um, there are landscape and jurisdictional opportunities being developed, um, but these need to be combined with a narrative for companies around local sourcing. I mean, a, a typical example of this challenge is where um, a company is programmed to source sustainable supplies of a particular product that might be cocoa, palm, coffee. Um, these programs often encourage farmers either for agronomic reasons um, or for reasons of economic for income divert, diversification to grow other crops. Um, but given these crops are produced as part of a sustainability program, it's logical to consider that these additional crops themselves can also be considered to be sustainable. Um, however, because the corporate programs are geared only to the development of the supply chain of the primary commodity, they have no need or means to provide a market for the additional goods produced, um, be that legumes, prices or whatever else. So there's a clear need, in our view, um, to develop a mechanism, a market based mechanism, uh, which um, allows sustainably good produced goods um, to be marketed in an efficient way that would allow farming communities straightforward access to um, end, end, end buyers. Our aim, therefore, is to uh, create what we're modestly calling uh, the sustainable commodities marketplace as an interactive platform to bring together sellers of sustainable crops with buyers. Um, the structure would emp both empower smallholders because a key issue emerging from our research last year is that is the need to shift the balance of power in supply chains uh, more towards producers and less uh, towards those uh, at the other end of the supply chain. We also think, um, and I think this is a very important point in the year of, of, of COP, um, that the sort of structure we're thinking about could also provide a means to encourage smallholder farmers um, to better protect high carbon value areas. It's clear that the behavior of smallholder communities are key in attempts to preserving forests and other habitats. Um, were farming communities able to benefit from car the carbon offset market, this will provide very significant incentives to them to protect these areas. 
Similarly, were companies to have easier and more transparent access to carbon credits, it would greatly assist them in achieving their carbon reduction targets. We think that the, the marketplace we're proposing would be a, a natural vehicle for this trade. This trade. So that's kind of the idea. Um, and as has become clear from the conversations we've had so far about it, it's an incredibly complicated undertaking. Uh, undertake undertaking and, and and can't be achieved in all in one go. It it has to be dealt with one step at a time. So what the, the process we're in at the moment is, is a proof of concept, um, effectively developing a prototype of what we're aiming at um, that can be scalable over time. Um, we're therefore planning to undertake this work um, through four stages. First of all, uh, and, and this is where we're working, for example, with, with Gertz at, at GAR, um, is to identify specific locations which are currently part of international supply chains of large-scale commodities such as palm, coffee, cocoa, in which farmers have also been encouraged to grow other crops. To begin with, these locations need to be relatively small to make the process manageable. And in each area, we plan to examine three sets of issues. First of all, crop availability, what crops are being produced in addition to the primary one and in what quantities, but equally what might production levels be like over the next two to three years. So that will potentially provide visibility for potential buyers. Then also what seasonal and other factors might affect availability of these crops at different points in time. And then finally within this area, what quality, sustainability and other standards have to, to which standards of these crops being produced. The second issue is the onward supply chain. I mean, one thing, again, that's become clear from our research so far is that it's that international supply chains don't necessarily buy the raw commodities. Um, for example, pepper, for example, uh, uh, brand companies don't buy pepper, they buy pepper extract. So therefore, understanding that onward supply chain is important. What processing, processing facilities are available locally, which would allow crops to be further refined and processed, and also critically what transport facilities are available to, en to enable raw and or processed goods to be taken to port for export. Um, and again, picking up on one of the issues that came up from our research last year, which is that at the moment, we really know nothing about the onward supply chain between farm and port. Uh, what issues of concern might there be in, for example, labor rights, um, which might affect that onward supply chain? The third issue within this uh, country pilot um, aspect is what cooperatives and other structures are in place um, which could interact with, in with international supply chains. An individual farmer is obviously not going to be an interlocutor for a, for a Mondelez or, a, or an Nestle, but what could um, uh, a group of farmers, um, a group of cooperatives look like that would be a plausible interlocutor? And then also within each of those organizations, what are the governance structures um, like to ensure that there is uh, equitable um, and transparent practice. Again, another, uh, another of the issues that came out from our research last year is that governance of cooperatives is, is phenomenally important. They can be uh, subject to elite capture um, and or can reflect divisions wider in society. So looking at the governance processes will also be, issue, will be important. The second stage is, as it were, the other half of the equation, which is um, engaging um, with international buyers. So having begun to understand from two or three different locations what types of products and in what state of processing is available, we'll work with two or three large buyers of tropical commodities, um, specifically working with procurement teams responsible for, for other products um, that, that might be available from these pilot areas. And with each of these partners, we'll explore a number of issues. 
first of all, what impediments would make it problematic for these products to be bought through a shorter supply chain rather than through normal procurement arrangements? Um, and in each case, how might these challenges be addressed in ways which still answer the priorities of procurement professionals? Uh, the fact remains that the procurement functions that exist within these large organizations, we have to respond to what it is that they want. We can't just say you need to buy, you need to buy into sustainability. We've got to understand their agenda, their priorities, and make sure that what we're doing fits that. But within that, obviously, we can look at other models of, of supply chain management, for example, Nestle's Nespresso approach and see whether some of those models might be applicable. So that's stage two. Step three is to look at transport and logistics. Um, the marketplace we're discussing anticipates a procurement structure which has fewer intermediaries and in which the link between seller and buyer is shorter. This necessarily means that transport and logistics arrangements will have to be developed to support the structure. We'll therefore work with two or three companies operating in this space. That could be um, existing commodities traders or large-scale transport companies to examine issues such as you know, what will be needed to establish viable logistics structures to service a more direct supply chain? How could existing structures be repurposed to this end? Uh, but also, critically, how can traceability of, the, of sustainable product be maintained and cross-contamination with other product be avoided? Because obviously critical to, to this idea is the idea that it will be very much more straightforward to, to, do trace, to trace the product right from the point of growing, right to the point of use, and the transport network necessarily needs to include that. Um, and then the, the fourth component um, is... is how one is to engage the role of technology. And it was notable that um, with the research last year, technology was rarely mentioned, but yet it gets talked about a lot at the sort of international level. And certainly if what we're anticipating doing with this marketplace is to um, look at the carbon off offset potential of what we're, what we're planning, verification, verification methods are needed to demonstrate protection of high carbon stock landscapes. So we propose to work with two or three technology companies or platforms um, to look at how technology can be combined with on the ground support to demonstrate forest protection and to, to look at approaches, blockchain or others that can be used to develop traceability of the goods. Now we recognize that, that what, we're, what we're trying to do here is, is a considerable challenge. However, what's clear from the research last year is, is that if smallholder supply chains are ever to be sustainable, an alternative market structure such as what we're proposing here must work. The existing approach doesn't work, cannot work. It's, it's too project-based, it's not systemic. It's not engaged with the core of businesses. It's not engaging with host country governments. So, even if what we're proposing here is going to be tough and complicated, it needs to be done. The fact that it's difficult does not mean it's, it's not important to do. And it aims at systemic change, which is the only way in which supply chains are handled that they can, so that they can properly manage issues such as living income and environmental degradation. It's only through developing the, the sort of process that we're talking about that this can properly, genuinely, durably be achieved. Um, and we think what we're, what we're planning by starting off with a prototype, some, 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 some company and country specific models that can then be scaled to work more broadly. Um, as Toby said, we're already um, working with a number of, of organizations on, on, on this and, and obviously are hoping that others will come on board. So at that point, I'm going to, uh, to shut up um, and uh, pass over to the rest of the panel. Peter, thanks very much. And we've got some great questions 
coming in, which we we can and will address um, during the during the time. I want to turn over to the speakers who've given us their time to, to turn up today before we do that. But thank you for all your questions that are coming in. We will get to as many of them as we can. These are all very, very helpful. Um, Gertz, let me turn to you first. You've been a, a, a long-term supporter of, of this work. If, if this sort of thing could be made to work, how could it benefit the communities you work in? And that's a key question, I think. <clears throat> Gertz, are you with us? Maybe he stepped away for a second. Okay, we'll come back to Gertz then. Alison, uh, pretty much the same question for, for you, really. I mean, we've worked with you for a long time. Um, you're a, a supporter of the initial project, and, and I think we all learned a lot about cotton smallholders uh, from the, the research. I, I, am, I, was, I was on mute. Okay, we'll, co we'll come back to you, Alison. Then, Gertz, if you can start again and not, and not be on mute, let's try that. Alison, we'll get, we'll get back to you in a second. Okay. Um, <laughs> this is where I go back to Alison and then you come back in again. It's turning into... Fine, the let me start. I mean, I think it's... And there's been some questions about, isn't this already happening? What are the metrics? And I think in cotton, we see there are lots of intercropping. It's, it's part of the methodology that we teach. And also we know, for example, that soy is a really big intercrop with cotton. And so we have a lot of organic uh, soya produced um, in India but it's not, the value of that isn't really seen. It's just sold as a commodity. It's actually sold as cattle feed. Hmm. So I did try a couple of years ago to see whether I could find who was buying that soya because actually there's quite a value to it. There's a community there. There's, it's organic. It's produced by um, some great people, but we kind of, it's just a commodity. And I think that what is at the heart of this is we're moving away from commodities and really moving into seeing the people, the processes, the care, and then the impact that has. So can we reduce the environmental impacts? Can we improve um, livelihoods as part of that process? So I think, you know, uh, Peter, it's great that we're beginning to look at this. And if we can begin to um, also put some value in to some of these um, sort of crops around, uh, you know, the core commodities, I think it, it, it could be incredible. We've done some work actually in India as well. In, they, in India, there's a second um, uh, planting season. So we've done some work on wheat. And again, we were trying to talk to some of the uh, beer producers in India to see whether we could link that wheat that has, has gone, we've done some training on, we've reduced environmental impacts. Could we then link that into a commodity supply chain? So I think there are some quite interesting opportunities but I just think it's about and we were just talking earlier about how we practically do it and how we create the right networks and, and the right connections but perhaps I'll just pause there because I think that for us that's sort of quite exciting about this. Thank you and we're looking forward to the ongoing work that we're planning together to try and draw out some of the key lessons already learned in, in your supply chains in India and how they can be applied to this example. Thank you Alison. Gertz uh, you're, you're back with us uh, we heard you briefly um, I see you have managed to unmute yourself. So, um, uh, are you are you with us? I, I'm not sure if you've frozen or not. Are you there? <laughs> the Indonesian internet to Jakarta seems to be playing up a bit. I do remember a time about 15 years ago when they said a shark bit through the internet cable to somewhere in Southeast Asia and they all got cut off. I never knew how true that was, but I hope it hasn't happened on this occasion. Um, 
although it might be wildlife's revenge. Uh, Gertz, are you are you with us? No. Okay. I can hear you if you hear me. Ah, we can now. Okay, let's let's try now. Um, so I guess you heard my my okay. question. Okay. Go ahead. Well, we do seem to have an ongoing I, connection. I did, I did hear your question, Toby. Um, I think you know I'm I'm very excited about um, for us as a, as a as a palm oil company is representative in you know at the uh, community survival future, which we are going to hopefully successfully implement. Is, is really a key part of the puzzle um, uh, to make this happen. Yeah, at the moment, we are running uh, more than 60 uh, projects, which is focusing on the, on the developments of the problem. Local markets are um, uh, not large enough anymore to take on the whole uh, produce of these villages. Uh, and, and for me, um, the marketplace idea is really intriguing as, as that would be really kind of um, taking away the invisible borders of supply chains uh, for, these, for these communities. So I think that's one thing um, which I really like in this project um, and what makes me excited. The, the other thing I think is that I think there was an agreement amongst people you talk to and obviously with us that, that you know, uh, forest protection, forest conservation, that communities really have to play a vital role there. Uh, and, and that needs to be taken into account and, and integrated into that future uh, business model. And so I'm, I'm very glad that we are going to tackle uh, this program. I think, you know, the pilot sites we are uh, discussing, we have um, 13 villages there. We have more than, uh, these villages have more than 20,000 hectares of, of, of good quality standing forests there, uh, uh, which they currently protect for us for essentially nothing. Uh, uh, in return, um, and and so you know, I hope that we can work out um, solutions on on how we can, you know, um, yeah, bring that carbon to market, uh, mm -hmm. and but also obviously in a way that it's that it's um, you know not not um, possible to abuse by people who want to use the carbon for greenwashing. I'm I pause here. Thank you, Gertz. That's, that's really interesting um, as an insight, and I'm glad the technology allowed us to, to hear most of that. Um, that's very helpful. Um, Silke, uh, let me turn to you uh, for some commentary on, on, on this idea. Um, you've been one of our, our founding supporters for the Innovation Accelerator Initiative that published the report. Um, you're really interested to hear your, your views on, on what you've heard and on the idea and how we might um, start to take it forward. Yeah, thank you, Toby. <laughs> thank you, Toby. Yeah, we are really glad to be part of this uh, great project and, and also to support this on behalf of the German Ministry of Economic De Development and Cooperation. Um, I, I think I, what, what you already mentioned, and especially what, what uh, about the market, com market commodities marketplace, um, yeah, it's, it's great. We need to have in mind, um, as Peter already mentioned, digital, digitalization, for example, can be a bridge to really bring producers much, much closer to, to um, those ones who buy on behalf of companies. 
nevertheless, such a bridge uh, needs to be framed within a very good legal framework. So to make sure that, um, for example, that, that we work with open source technologies and that we, that we are sensitive about data and about owning data. So these are things um, we, we actually uh, think a lot about those, uh, those uh, digital principles, so to say. And uh, that also um, all actors along the supply chain also within a digital solution uh, need to participate. So a digital solution can be only sustainable and, and really um, fair if, if, if it is embedded in a multi-stakeholder approach with, with a strong participation of all actors. This is something we, we thought about when we hear of the commodities marketplace. Um, on the, and, and what I also wanted to mention is um, that, yeah, the, the overall idea of, of thinking cross-commodity-wise is a great idea. We completely follow this, uh, this concept. This is one of the reasons why we support it. Um, nevertheless, we have to keep in mind that especially those crops that are, that are used for crop diversification or rotation crops are, as Peter already mentioned, not always those crops that are really of interest in a global market. Mm. So often they, they are really marketed as well in, in completely different marketplaces or in different com communities. Um, but they have a very strong um, mean as well for biodiversity. So just to be realistic about are we able to link all those crops to a global market? For example, um, this is something that often probably is not the case, that they are really um, just made for being connected globally and that, that we have to really see very intensively. And this is, this is what should be surely one of the goals of the pilot projects, um, how to integrate local markets and how in regional markets and how to integrate especially those niche niche crops um, that are crucial within crop diversification. These two comments maybe for the time being. Thank you. Thank you, Silke. That's very helpful insight and much to think about there. Um, Leah, let, let me turn to you. Um, not, all, not all of us may know Pauli Group, but um, perhaps tell us in two sentences what, the, what you're producing and, and particularly given your, your spices footprint, be really interested to hear, or also your coffee uh, sourcing as well, how you think this idea might apply to, to your supply chain and the and feedback you have on, on the idea itself. Leah. Okay, thank you very much, Topi, and, and everybody about this possibility, the very, very interesting research and topic definitely to discuss. And uh, Certainly about Paulik, 145 years old company, family owned, uh, long tradition working with the coffee and coffee uh, smallholder farmers in, in Central South America. But nowadays, this is a really international food and beverage, com beverage company. So we are buying around 1000 different raw materials from 80 different countries, actually. And and faces so so uh, main groups are like the Tex Mex and and then the spices and and coffee coffee category, but they're also new plant based products, basically. So if I'm really looking at this uh, topic from the angle that uh, 
from the global map, really. <laughs> and of course, there are issues that uh, how you run the product development, how you run the procurement. But basically, from the sustainability point, what I've been looking at it, that what are the key really raw materials, top 15 raw materials from those thousand and uh, what we are buying and we already see that there are possibilities for the interlinks, basically, and 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 the learning from the the coffee cases we have been years now building about the partnerships with the with the coffee farmers that uh, we have a traceable, uh, transparent and traceability to the farmer communities. And today, and sustainably verified sources that has been a huge work done done, done there. Basically, that uh, that the smallholder farmers has been increased to the top level, which you could use here. That and saying the argument also into the research that uh, okay, how to how to find the the markets for the current sustainable products also really. So the work has needed to be done to also increase the product there into that top. And, and now, now when the climate work is coming really more uh, focused also above that first, first phases, basically then we are really looking at that, that also uh, diversifying the, the agriculture there and farm and then, then it's kind of a future looking that what kind of interlinked possibilities there are. But the same is with the with the spices, 200 different spices, kind of, and, and some also about the farmer's livelihood point of view. So there, it's very rare that they are only cultivating the certain spices we are, we, we, we are for example, buying. There are other, other crops too. So uh, it, it would be really, really interesting. And that's why I, I, I support the idea more or more things are really the practicalities to look at it that uh, who would be using, how would we be using, what kind of uh, information would be needed. But uh, as a first step, the kind of a mapping really that uh, what uh, cross uh, commodities there are available. For example, that uh, the, today mentioned soya, today mentioned wheat, those are all what public is also buying in a to top 10 raw materials. Basically, that, that can can we as a, as a also direct raw material buyer somehow into the future possibility right trying to combine these volumes from same sources also or work as an enabler to increase the sustainability level for the certain raw materials that they would go to the other other markets for example. But uh, but these are. And then the, my last comment is for that, that okay, uh, as sustainability uh, uh, commodities marketplace, but a buyer and the farmers going to the closer, it's very good idea to get the shortening that supply chains, but still how we formulate the, that there will be a need anyway, those players that who, who will uh, give the support for increasing the awareness and new skills data sets, the kind of that uh, verifications and the continuous improvement areas. Yeah, thank you very much. Lots to think about there as well. That's, that's also very helpful. Uh, Ruth, let me turn to you. Um, tell us the, the, the new name for the Global Agribusiness Alliance. And I mean, you represent an awful lot of agricultural, agri, well, agribusinesses that the average consumer has probably never heard of, but have a very significant impact in, in, in 
some more holder sourcing in rural communities. And, you know, we've, we've run several sessions together on the kind of rural resilience angle. So really interested to hear um, your views on this. Uh, so Ruth, over to you. Thanks, Toby. But just to correct you, as you well know, I do not represent them. I just have the privilege of working with them on one or two discrete things. And yes, for the benefit of everyone on the line, um, Ruth Thomas at the Global Agribusiness Action on Equitable Livelihoods Project, which builds on work of the Global Agribusiness Alliance over the last few years. Now that we've been integrated fully into WBCSD, we're also able to weave together some other work that's underway around digital advisory services and the investment partnerships of the industrial transition. So a real exciting time. And essentially this project, as I say, does build on GA work to date, and in particular the work under our Rural Livelihoods work stream, headed up by uh, colleagues at Golden Agri Resources, um, and is really designed to strengthen the kind of social impact of our sector with a strong lens looking at tackling inequality, starting with strengthening rural livelihoods and strengthening rural economic resilience. A couple of questions have come in, which I just think would actually relate to um, two of the points that you raised at the beginning, Peter, and, and others. And I just want to also call out the incredible richness and impressive group of peer participants on this call today. It's amazing and really hope we, we can hear from, from them as well. So crop diversification, I'm very um, pleased and interested to know that colleagues of mine are working on a white paper on staple crop diversification in recognition that five crops dominate our food and egg system. They actually apparently supply close to half of the world's calorie supply. And we understand that this really does exacerbate the kind of environmental as well as human health risks. Um, this white paper on staple crop diversification is also informing a, a game changer or solution that's been put forward to the Food Systems Summit. So I just share that with anyone that isn't aware, because I think it's a, an indication and a signal that the challenge and the urgency around crop diversification is really um, definitely gaining an interaction and profile and interest. There was a question, I think, from Mark as well around the importance of uh, strengthening agri-SMEs, which I think is really essential, and also one from Monica on the importance of building on existing um, kind of uh, initiatives underway. So one of the specific things that many of you will know we have been doing a lot of work with, alongside many of the amazing participants on this call today, I can see them in, in the list, um, is very much focusing on looking and understanding the role of agri-SMEs who are critical to driving social and economic rural resilience and important off-takers from these small farmers, from these 500 million small farmers and employers of farmers that don't want to farm anymore. And I know that the viability of the smallholder farming model was also something, Peter and Toby, that your paper touched on. Um, what we've been doing is really bringing the influence and impact and leverage of the big agribusiness sector to this quite established challenge and agenda on agri-SME finance um, to enable them to really tap into their small su supplier base and demonstrate to investors that these suppliers are already embedded in structured and stable supply chains. Um, so that has been a really important piece of our work. I'm not going to go on about it. It's been the topic of another innovation forum discussion, but just wanted to highlight the crop diversification and the agri-SME conduit as a as a route to kind of strengthen these small farmers and their access to finance and, and markets. Thanks, Toby. Thanks very much, Ruth. That, that's really, really helpful. Um, 
there's clearly a lot going on in this space and we've got lots of great questions here. I just want to offer one, one bit of clarification about our intentions and then I'll turn over to Peter with, with a difficult question I'm going to frame for you, Peter, for, which is sort of taken from the comments. And the clarification I would make is we're not necessarily saying we're going to set up this you know, electronic marketplace and create this whole new thing that's going to transform smallholder farming. As we know, you know there are no silver bullets on development, and particularly on when you're dealing with um, the points that Ruth has just mentioned so articulately around, um, around you know, the, the ecosystem around smallholders and rural economic development. What we're looking to do is to use Peter's considerable experience um, and our access to company supply chains and our network, of which we regard all of you as a part, and thank you for, for being here, to, to, to scope out what the possibilities are and to go beyond some of the existing literature. If you look at our report and you look at the 85 interviews, the, the, the upshot of 85 interviews that Peter did, there's, there are large areas in, in the smallholder agriculture space which are not very well explored. We were stunned when we looked at the literature uh, as, as to the areas that actually aren't covered. Uh, um, Farmgate to free on board is a perfect example, and Peter mentioned that earlier. So what we're seeking to do is to use Peter's kind of political economy and development experience combined with our business access to try and ask the right questions in a, in a slightly broader sense than sometimes is done. It's sometimes it's just all about the farm and the farmer. Uh, and, and as Teresa, last point, we need to go beyond that. So we're not saying we're going to set this up and run it. We're saying we want to explore it because we want to get companies involved in being interested in how they can contribute to making it happen. Now, it might not be us that does that, and that's fine. What we want to do is ask the difficult questions and explore them. That's what Innovation Forum is set up to do. And that's kind of enough, because there's plenty there. So that's just a bit of clarification about our intentions. We seek to be collaborative. Um, you know, we, uh, we have studied some of the other initiatives, and that's my difficult question for you, Peter, uh, which has been framed in the comments, and we knew this was gonna come up, <laughs> is, you know, what, aren't we just duplicating other people's work? You know, what, what's special about this and, and why are we bothering when other people may have done it already? Um, I think that's, that's come across. I'm perhaps framing it more aggressively than in the comments, but uh, I think that's a legitimate question we have to, to answer. I've tried to answer it uh, briefly just now, but Peter, over to you for uh, a bit more on, on that. Okay, so yeah, thanks for that. Um, <clears throat> just very quickly before I do, just to pick up on the point that Ruth made about the importance of SMEs, absolutely right. I mean, one of the the organisations that supported us this time so far has been Curly ACP, which is uh, basically um, companies involved in the horticul onward horticulture <clears throat> supply chain. And, and all the focus tends to be on smallholder farmers themselves, rather than everyone else who's involved in the process. So just to um, definitely second you on that. In terms of, of, of why what we're doing is different, I mean, I think the first point I'd make is that even if there are two or three separate initiatives going on in this space, actually, given the scale of the problem, that's not necessarily in itself a bad thing. But I think what we're doing is rather different in some quite important regards. First of all, what we're aiming at is direct traceability between um, the farm on the ground through a cooperative, through a marketing institution, right to an end buyer. We're trying to make that link absolutely traceable from end to end. Um, whereas, for example, the work that... Um, that IDH is doing with its source up program, great though that is, <clears throat> is based on a sort of more of a mass balance approach. <clears throat> There's a sort of an association between a company and a landscape rather than directly between a company and the specific, uh, specific smallholders they're buying from. Um, secondly, what we're trying to do is to mainstream um, stability, not keep it in a box. Um, the 
one of the reasons why we feel that the, the current approach is not sustainable is that you still have the sustainability department. Um, I did a lot of interviews with procurement people from a number of big companies as part of the research process. And it's completely evident that, that sustainability rem remains for most companies pretty tangential, even those that have made some quite big commitments in, in this space. So what we're trying to do is develop a market-based mechanism that can actually uh, work with existing procurement structures um, so it can help it become mainstream rather than sticking it, you know, keeping it in a sustainability box. Um, and also uh, just to pick up on, on one set of comments that was made, I think by Monica. Um, uh, yes, absolutely. There are, there are some direct mechanisms that work very well, um, but that, but the trouble is they are, they are so small and so niche. They're not systemic. Um, if you looked at the Wageningen university report from, um, uh, about December 2019, um, they, 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 they looked at coffee and, and cocoa and they, they came up with topologies of farmers and those that were engaged in the high quality direct trade were doing very well. It's the other 98% of farmers who aren't. Uh, and what we're trying to do is to, is to aim at how do we address this is in a systemic fashion rather than just by pulling off um, individual niches. I think also the other thing is that I pull out on is um, the kind of myth that things like fair trade work, they don't. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't be having debates at the moment about living income. It would have already been sorted twenty years ago, um, and the coverage of the of the UTS um, uh, uh, work last year that, that showed that in in, in cocoa in West Africa, um, child labour still exists. So the fact is, the existing process, the existing certification approach, which is being used at the moment, it doesn't work. We like to pretend it does because people have put lots of resource behind it. Uh, and, and really what we're trying to do is to say the existing structure is broken. It can never work. Um, it's project based. It's not linked into what's going on, at, even at a country level projects aren't joined up so that's a wasted resource what projects happen aren't necessarily joined up with what governments are doing um you have no link um, to the, the, the sort of mainstream functions in, in in companies um and you know as we know from the discussions um in um about child labor in, in west africa fine okay it might be possible to migrate child labor away from working on certified cocoa farms that doesn't mean the problem goes away and until we start engaging with these systemic societal issues which lie behind the problems we see in global supply chains then frankly we're just dilettanteing we're not actually aiming at something that's going to make a in the long run blind bit of difference what we're trying to do is to make a blind bit of difference well hopefully a bit more than that <laughs> a cited bit of difference peter thank you um, i know simon dr simon lord is here and i'm gonna i'm gonna bring in simon in just a minute so uh, ollie if you can get ready to bring in simon after this a question peter uh, from uh, I'm, I'm sorry um, if I get your name wrong. Mansiutas Dato, Mansiutas, you took place, took part in our conference last year. I know you represent Indonesian smallholders, and we've uh, we've had your insights before. And because you're based, you know, on the ground, I think <clears throat> they're working with smallholders. It's really interesting to see your point, and Peter. Maybe that's one we can address. I'm sorry we can't get to all of them. We're, we're trying to to cover as many as we can. But uh, you can, I don't know if you can see the question there, Peter, from uh, Marcietta's data, but it's, you know, what is the incentive model for smallholders um, to be sustainable, if they are sustainable, and what are the incentives provided to farmers? I mean, uh, there's some other text there, um, but effectively, you know, what are the conditions for them to receive incentives other than 
carrying out sustainable practices? I suppose, Peter, the obvious answer is market access year round for things you might only have sold seasonally and, and with a better, better quality supply chain. But anything else you would add to that? Because that's a really interesting point. Yeah, I mean, this, this, uh, I think in many cases, smallholder farmers have been, have been sold a said a slightly fake thesis they've um they've they've invested in trying to become more sustainable but not necessarily getting the returns on that investment so i think that's right i think it's what we want to try and do here is to say investment has gone in to help you be better at producing perhaps one particular commodity but you're, then you're producing all these other commodities all these other goods alongside that what can we do to help you may help smallholders get the return on that effort and that investment. Um, it's 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 trying to see, um, I suppose, in, a la in landscapes terms, you know, farmers don't just produce one thing. They produce a range of things. And it's a question of making sure that they have access to market, a good market for all of those things. I mean, coming back to what Alison was saying at the top of the conversation, that that, that often the you know they, they may grow another crop which could find its way to a very high value added sustainability market but often gets used as Alison was saying for, for animal feed in their local market so that what we're trying to do is to provide um, that additional market for smallholder farmers and and hopefully help them see greater return greater um, benefits to themselves of of um, adopting sustainable practice across what they do. And I think that's really where this um, this issue to do with um, carbon offset comes in as well. Uh, I mean, the, the, the tone of the debate so far has, has been very much around what do we do to stop smallholder farmers damaging sensitive um, landscapes rather than say, well, actually, if you can help farmers derive value from high carbon stock forests, for example, then why wouldn't they protect it? So you're actually saying almost how can we allow farmers to have the production of carbon offsets as a as a commodity that they as a thing that they produce as something that they sell. Thank you. I mean, Toby, Toby, can I can I maybe jump in on this one as well? Please quickly? do, yeah, please do, Gertz. Yeah, then well, we'll come to something after that. Gertz, over to you. So you know, I I, I think um, on top of what Peter already said, I think I think if you look into Indonesia, many of the smallholders are actually not multi-crop. Yeah, Man, most of them are monocrop. Mm -hmm. uh, and especially if they are deciding for palm oil, essentially they are locking themselves in on one crop for 25 years. So what I hope now with this project is essentially really the, the diversification to multi-crop, yeah, which would help them to balance uh, market uh, fluctuations um, um, uh, and, 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 you know, in the long term, but also kind of seasonalities. And I think that is the major, uh, um, uh, th that is the beauty. I think what I later that marketplace will result to, um, and, and not necessarily, you know, I don't think for smallholders a price premium. I think then the whole discussion will start again. Okay, how is their practice verified, etc. So we, we we see how that is going on on certification schemes with, with smallholders. That's that's rather difficult and and cost is 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 costly and and also time consuming. So, so I think the, the beauty is really that this would lead or provide guidance how to diversify what crops to use. I think also, especially on the marketplace, what is important really, if this is a dialogue forum, yeah, that, that companies who are consuming these goods are saying, I need these products, these volumes. And so then, you know, this is, this is really then a, a reliable tool where you can do also some long-term planning. Currently, essentially you produce something 
but you don't know if, if that is the volume which is needed or if it's too much or too low. Uh, and if it's too low, everybody is growing it. And next year there is oversupply. That's how it works. Yeah? And through that platform, if the whole, especially the demand side is becoming much more transparent, the smallholders can much more plan for it, produce the right crop. Uh, and I think that would give value, more value than a little bit price premium for a single crop. Thank you. I think that's a key point, Gertz, and I think that's something that we definitely see this delivering. Um, I mean, one of the problems that smallholder farmers face and the reason that they continue to be sort of trapped in a cycle of poverty is that they they haven't got visibility of what they're able to do. Um, and if they were, if we were through this method to be able to do that, then, as you say, they can then have a bit more confidence about investing, about, you know, basically taking a, a longer term view of what they're doing. Thank you. There's some really interesting points on the on the comments. Uh, Peter, have a think about Grant's question about financial institutions. Clearly, so sort of supply security would be a good incentive for, for banks to help provide better financing. But while you're thinking about an answer to that, I'd like to thank all of you for your contributions. Well, we are noting them, and if you want to collaborate, and many of you do, we will be in touch about that for sure. Stephanie and others, uh, we'd be delighted to do so. Uh, let me turn to, to Simon Lord, who's with us, who spent a lot of time uh, working with smallholders and working in tropical agriculture. Simon, I know you're you're there in, in the Zoom background. Maybe we can bring you in for some, some thoughts or comments and then we'll go back to the to the written Q&A. So, Simon, are you there? Yes, Toby, can you hear me? We can, yeah. We can't see you, but we can hear you. Oh, I don't know why my... Oh, no. I'm not allowed to, to show my face, apparently. I'm only allowed to speak, but never mind. Uh, yeah, good afternoon, everyone fascinating discussion and I've like many of you have been looking at the, the question and answers that have been coming up and I think those questions are actually spot on and I would really encourage Innovation Forum to, to really delve deeply into those. I mean it is a great paper. I actually thoroughly enjoyed reading it. But I've got a few comments uh, about everything that I've, I've heard and listened to and, and what I've been reading about it. And it seems to me that there's, there's three main areas that, that we need to effect change. There's change on the farms themselves, and I'll come to that in a minute. Changes in the market and how we can make it available. And then changes, I think, in the boardroom, the decisions by companies to actually get behind this. But there's a couple of stumbling blocks. Totally agree with Peter about the alternative market structure that's needed but i don't think we're there yet with that one um it's not just about the farm and the farmer we focus so much on the farm that we forget that if there's not a route to market quite literally then we're actually struggling uphill and we're not going to get there we always fall back on intercropping and, and that raises some questions for me um totally believe in intercropping but then you're looking at how you start to verify the sustainability of those different crops. I think someone said earlier that most of the sustainability verification systems are based around a single crop. Very few, I think Rainforest Alliance is one, focus on the whole farm. And that's the kind of thing that you would be looking for because you would want to have everything covered under one umbrella verification scheme. But I don't just think that diversifying will actually remove some of the impediments that you have with a single crop. It will start, but I still think that there will still be problems there and we come back to the market. 
you mentioned about moving from uh, away from commodities. They didn't say decommoditize, but that's especially what we meant. But I wonder if that leads us then into niche and niche markets. And that links to the second point of shortening the supply chains. We're looking at these jurisdictions. Is that where this is going to operate rather than international markets? Where the diversified crop, the additional income to small farmers, is actually going to provide horticulture and edibles to actually a, a local resource. I think some plantation companies a long time ago started looking at their smallholders to grow the crops that would be needed for the workers in the plantation, solving both a good food uh, source and a good income source for both parties. I think I have a real problem in the future about the whole viability of smallholders. Certainly the age profile in oil palm is suggesting that many smallholders are moving away from their farms. The average age is, is getting higher. Sometimes it's in the 60s in certain regions. The offspring of those smallholders are not particularly interested in working on the land. It's not attractive enough. And I think that's a time bomb waiting to go off that when you look at this, you'll, you'll need to actually uh, address. And then lastly, I think absolutely spot on when someone said, it's the discussions across the table that denote whether or not we're going to get this forward because there is still this huge divide between the procurement departments of many large companies and their sustainability departments haven't built in sustainability into the entire acquisition process. It's, it's just bolted on. And it looks like it's bolted on because you can, you can tell a really good story. You can have a great narrative of what you wish to do. But when it comes down to the nitty gritty, it is about sense that can be shaved off of a ton or a volume of commodities. Lastly, I thought the point about other people already doing this, GK Liverpool, Oxford University, crop performance. Yes, I know that uh, IGH looked at it, IFC looked at it. I know that Oxfam did, Aid Environment looked at it as well. There's perhaps a convening role, Toby, for, for you guys to bring all this together because there's a great deal of wealth. But as Peter said, we haven't solved the problem, otherwise we still wouldn't be talking about it. And we do need to stop talking about it and do something about it. And that's at scale. So I think that there is room for that. And maybe after reading through these question and answers carefully, there is the next work streams that can be set up to address these. But not, please, just talking about it, but actually through some actual end points on that. So all in all, yeah, I've really enjoyed this. Um, I really think that this is a pressing need. It's a problem that's been there for a long time. We haven't solved it yet. We have some solutions, but we've not applied those at scale. Thank you, Simon. Yeah, um, all very good points. Um, before I sort of turn over to Peter, maybe for a few closing, concluding remarks, um, Ruth, I had a question for you, thinking about what Simon was saying and about the, the finance side and about the focus on carbon. In your in your experience with the, the companies you're working with, do, do you feel like the, 
the action coming around COP26 and the, the, the push around climate change can help provide that extra impetus to engage uh, smallholder farmers uh, in, in these issues in the sense that, um, you know, traditionally we focus a lot on the social side, but the environment side is very important, yet we, we don't know how to measure on-farm CO2 sequestration, et cetera, at the moment on a small scale. It's very difficult. Do you, just generally, Ruth, do you see carbon as being a, a, a fillip, I suppose, a, a real kind of catalyst for further action in this space because it, you know, it, it's such a focus for companies and yet there's so much to be done in the supply chain? Yeah, in real brief, Toby, absolutely. I think I can't be the only one that's frustrated at very siloed discussions on climate and carbon, on deforestation of forests and on poverty and livelihoods. And we have to do a far better job at weaving them together. I've already this morning had conversations with GCAS and others and the COP and the others, you know, the other big events and moments in time coming up even this year alone, are how we can better reflect the resilience and smallholder farmer and livelihoods and social agenda in the climate one. So yeah, and be happy and keen to have that conversation for, for with more with you for longer. Right, thank you. Um, Silka, I suppose a similar question to you. I mean, you're probably more linked into the governmental agenda uh, than we are. And of course, the, the German government, along with many others, has some significant uh, carbon targets. Do you see the, the kind of carbon, the carbon uh, interest driving greater resource allocation towards tackling these issues in supply chains? Or, or is it still seen as a bit separate? In your experience? Um, I mean, naturally, <laughs> it's, unfortunately, it's still separate, but this is one of the reasons why we have to think more systemically. So I think this is what we have to do and, and why we also uh, are joining forces or need to join forces to, to, to address it more in one and to have really those incentives and, and, and to think it together, definitely. But I... I, I I would like to add, if I, if I, if I may, <laughs> just one very short remark on the question, not doubling efforts. Um, I think this is a very crucial point. So we have to build upon what is already there uh, because this whole thing of reinventing the wheel again and again is really, <laughs> is really a problem we, um, we have to deal with. And therefore, I just wanted to, to stress uh, the interoperability of whatever we try to, to do so that we need to make sure that the systems that are out there are really interoperable with each other. And so that, that we have this systemic thinking as well in our solutions, just to add on this. Thanks very much. Absolutely. That's always a concern of ours. We do not seek to reinvent the wheel. We, we, you know, we redefined our mission at Innovation Forum to be a platform for change. Simon talked about being a catalyst, being a convener. That's where we see our, our role. We're able to translate some of these issues uh, into language that makes sense for companies who perhaps aren't at the leadership uh, point yet, but are, are heading on the way. And we hope to provide them confidence as they sort of jump on board the journey. Uh, and that's a role we can play along with doing this kind of cutting edge research, which we think we're, we, we can add some value by, uh, by looking at areas which aren't always covered in other bits of research. And at the very least, if everything is covered, and we've seen many examples of, of, of areas that I, I didn't know about, or initiatives I didn't know about, what can we do to draw them together and to put those lessons out to a business audience that can fund uh, and take action in supply chains? That's a role for us here. So I've certainly learned a lot here. Let me turn over to Peter for any closing comments. And if Peter, if you want to address the, the financial question or, or make any closing remarks before we finish in a minute or two. 
Um, you know, just to pick up on the financial one, absolutely, the financial institutions have a key role to play. Uh, and at the moment, there's a there's a quite unhappy relationship between financial institutions and smallholder farmers. Um, I mean, not least of which that in, in most of the locations where smallholders uh, operate, um, loan structures, assuming a farmer could get a loan in the first place because of collateral issues, um, you know, the, the loan is repayable monthly, whereas obviously, from the farmer's perspective, he's not got any money until he's sold his crop. So there's a there's often a mismatch there. Um, but yes, engagement with the financial sector how structures could be put in place to support what we're talking about i think needs at some stage to be a, a, a key part of the process um which i suppose um, as toby's allowed me to make some some closing remarks i'll keep it quick because everyone needs their afternoon back um is that yes there's been a lot of talk um about other structures being out there but the research that we did last year which was pretty comprehensive showed that none of those are coming to scale none of those in the bigger scheme of things are really making much difference on the ground what we're doing here is not about research for its own sake it's about um, none of it matters unless we can actually shift the dial on the ground um, and so it's actually focusing on on practical um, steps forward which is why we've broken what we're what we're doing down into um, individual chunks so we can sort of isolate each of the problems as we go along absolutely um, we'll seek to learn and build on other initiatives other initiatives that are out there but it's a it's a very large target area and again some of the comments have been around it's complicated isn't it we know it's complicated again that's why we're breaking it down into into sort of more bite-sized chunks um but it, it it really what it comes down to is is what we said at the top of the conversation which is that um the existing models the existing approaches um aren't working um, and to pick up on on one of Simon's points um, you know some of the the underlying systemic issues aren't really being grasped you know for example is it ever going to be sustainable for for people to earn a living income off less than two hectares of land which is what 84 percent of the world's smallholder farms are um, so what we're trying to do is to is develop a market-based mechanism that also um, su directly support smallholder farmers um, and trying to isolate and identify the challenges that, that we need to get there and, and make a structure actually work on the ground for real people in, in, in emerging economies. Peter, thank you. And thanks to all of you. And we like to stick to time in Innovation Forum, so we'll end it here. Um, but my thanks go to Peter, to Silke, Gertz, Alison, Leah, uh, and Simon and on all the rest of you for your great questions. I, I've cut and pasted them. Uh, we'll be in touch with those of you who would like to be in touch with us. I think you have our email addresses. Uh, let's keep the conversation moving. Uh, we see our role as, as, as I mentioned, to try and catalyze action and to provide research and the questions that, that do that. We have the big conference at the end of the year, which will be virtual. And uh, virtual means it's much cheaper for you to attend. Mm. We had to slash our prices by 75%. Uh, in COVID, and um, we've continued to do that with uh, with virtual. So, um, you know, our conferences are pretty accessible, uh, and we encourage you to come and join us at the end of November after COP to continue this conversation um, virtually and perhaps in 2022 face-to-face. -face. In the meantime, Peter and I and, and our partners will be kicking off this next uh, research project over the next few months. Uh, we welcome further collaborators and, and supporting partners, and we look forward to hearing more feedback from you. Uh, and thanks again for the great questions and for giving up the last hour or so to debate this extremely important topic. And with that, I think I'll close out here and uh, wish you all uh, a wonderful afternoon. Thank you and goodbye.